Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. I encourage you to join with me in your Bible or the Pew Bible in front of you, or if you're one of those app people, there's a Bible app. Just join with me there. It's Romans 10, 5 through 15. Let us hear now the words of the Lord. So Paul says, Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not, stay, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is up to Christ to bring down, or who will descend into the abyss, no, that is to, Christ, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart leading to righteousness and one confesses with the mouth leading to salvation. The scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, and the same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on the one in whom they have not believed? Or how are they to believe in one whom they have not heard? Or how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, we gather to hear your word read and proclaimed. We gather on this holy ground to listen intently to you. So speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. And as we listen, O Lord, may your words not go in one ear and out the other. But may they be anchored deep within our souls so that when we leave this place, we ponder your words. We consider your words, we interact with your words, that we leave this place not as just hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. In the movie Saving Private Ryan, at the very beginning there's this poignant scene where James Francis Ryan is standing in the American military cemetery in Normandy, standing in front of the the grave of Captain John Miller, who as he stands there, he begins to recall all the events that brought him to this day. He recalls that Captain John Miller and his band of rangers sought him out all across Normandy, looking for him in the days after the invasion, because James Francis Ryan's brothers 
had passed away. And so the government decided it was best to bring him home back stateside so this family would not lose a fourth child in either the European or Pacific theaters. So he's pondering the sacrifices that were made to bring him home. And he turns to his wife and he looks at her and he says, have I lived a good life? She doesn't totally understand what he's asking. What he's really saying is, have I done enough to earn this gift that was fought so valiantly for that John Miller gave his life for me? Have I done enough to earn that gift of his sacrifice? You know, we can be tempted to ask ourselves that very same question. Have we done enough? Have we lived a good enough life? Are we doing all the right things? Especially when we think about it as we sit in this place, as we look at this cross and realize that Christ died on it for you and for me. That he gave his life for our salvation so that we might live. Have we lived a good life? And see, what Paul is talking about in the text I heard this morning, he's talking about this, this interaction between salvation and worthiness of it, what we can do to earn it. And he's really talking about a duality that he sees happening in the church in Rome where there are the Jews, the chosen people of God, who are trying to live by the law for righteousness. And then there are the Gentiles who have been given this gift of salvation. It's been preached to them. And they've received salvation, though they have not lived by the law. And so what begins to unfold for him and what he's writing about throughout Romans is this, this discourse between the law of God and this idea of salvation by faith and the reality that salvation is available to all of us across the world, no matter how we grew up, no matter where we entered church life, or even if we have yet, that salvation is available to us. So this conversation about law, he, he, he sort of dabbles into this idea of the law and then into legalism because it's really a discussion about can you be saved by doing all the right things? Because that's what the Jews believe. They believe that they followed the law to the letter of it, to the T. They did all the right things. They checked all the boxes that they would be saved. So it begins this idea, and as we look at this, this idea of the law, let's really break it down. Laws exist, right? They exist for order and society as a framework for living. They exist for the common good overall. I mean, think about this. We could, we could look at laws both in the religious world and the political world. We could take, say, the Ten Commandments. Moses goes to the mountain. He's leading the Israelites, leading them towards the promised land, and God gives them the Ten Commandments the first set of laws, if you will. And what are the Ten Commandments? The first four of them talk about how we should relate to God. So it governs our relationship with God, what is important to God and what should be important to us about it. And then the next six talk about how we should relate to each other to bring order to society, what we should and shouldn't do towards our brothers and sisters, towards our fellow citizens. Or we could look into sort of the governmental realm and we look at, say, the preamble to the Constitution. It states that in order to form a more perfect union, we establish justice 
ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. In other words, this document spells out how we're going to run our country and how we're going to interact with each other as fellow Americans. So both sets of these, the Ten Commandments and the, pre, and the preamble of the Constitution, they sort of set up this idea of how we live in relationship with each other for the common good. But then we know what happens, right? We know that the Jews went from Ten Commandments to all of a sudden the religious laws of the day which numbered into the hundreds. We look at the U.S. Code, it's gone from the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to hundreds of laws. And so the system becomes so complex that only the most learned practitioners of the law can sort of parse out what each of them means and how it interacts. And so if you try to live intently by the law, what you begin to find, if you look at the Jewish law, it starts to govern every aspect of your life and you spend more time figuring out what you can and can't do than actually doing anything. And almost to the point of being paralyzed to the point of inaction. This is one of the complaints that Jesus had with the law was that it began to sort of miss the point. So it reminds me of this scene in the movie Raising Arizona. It's an old movie, but there's a scene where the bank robbers, they bust into the bank and there's, it's in an agrarian society. There's a bunch of farmers sitting around and they say, everybody freeze and get on the floor. And nobody moves. And they said, I said, freeze and get on the floor. And finally, one of the farmers in the corner goes, well, which is it going to be, young fella? Do you want us to freeze or do you want us to get on the floor? And that's the point. We laugh about it, but sometimes we find ourselves stuck trying to figure out what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. And we miss the point, which is to be closer to God, to be in better relationship with each other. And so what Paul is doing in this text is he's arguing against this religious legalism because it's humanly impossible to follow all aspects of the Jewish law because that's when Jesus comes and says, I didn't come to abolish it, but I come to fulfill it, meaning he has fulfilled the law so that we might have life and have life abundantly. See, what we know happens is that on the shadow side of trying to fulfill the law and just trying to parse out the pieces, we begin to sort of develop the sense of superiority, especially if we seem to do better than others. We tend to judge and condemn. I mean, that's what Jesus' ongoing battle with the Pharisees was about. They had sort of figured it out and they became the arbitrators of the law. They almost had made God in their own image. They almost claimed that God was on their side that they had the moral high ground, that they were God's favorite, and there was no hope for the rest. And Jesus comes along and says, no. Because what he really says is he says, basically, we can't save ourselves. We can do all the good works that we want to do, but we are still human. We are still flawed. We are still going to stumble. So we're never going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't try to do the good things, but we need to realize that our salvation is not something that we can create for ourselves or that we can earn. Instead, what Paul writes is he writes that salvation is not of us, but it's of God. He says this in verses 8 through 10. He says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For one believes with the heart, leading to righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, leading to salvation. What Paul is saying is here, whether Jew or Gentile, believer or non-believer, that all we need for our salvation, all we need to gain it is to confess that Jesus is Lord. That's why when we do confirmation or baptize or bring in new members and we ask them, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and put your whole trust in him? Folks, when we ask that question, that is the most important question that you will be asked in your life. And the answer is powerful. When someone says, I do, the bells of heaven ring. There's a cacophony of rejoicing. Because in that moment, that person, whoever answers that question, gets it that Jesus died on the cross for them. When we say that ourselves, that we admit that Jesus died on the cross for us, and we begin to realize that the way of salvation is paid by our faith that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That's why it's so important when we come to the table and we pray that prayer of confession, and the celebrant says, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And those of us that aren't the celebrant respond back, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Because in that moment, we are holding on to the fact that we recognize that we are all sinners, that we all fall short of the hopes and the dreams that God has for us, but that God still loves us in spite of us. Despite our best intentions, that there is hope for us yet. I think about that. I think of this, we see this example this time and again, every season in Lent when people will try to give things up. I mean, how many of you try to give up stuff for Lent? Raise your hand. It's okay. How many of you decide rather than giving up stuff, I'm going to take something on? See, when we do those things, we try to make a real change in our life, try to grow closer to God. And invariably, we'll say things like, I'm going to try to read the Bible every day, or I'm going to try to not complain, or I'm going to clean up my language and speak in holier terms and less um, plant language, that kind of thing. We're going to do these things. I'm going to do a random act of kindness, and I'm going to do this for all 40 days of Lent. And sometimes we can make it till day three or four, and then we stub our toe literally or figuratively and the words just tumble out of our mouths. And we think, I'm a failure. I can't even do this. Or maybe we could try an experiment. Here's my, here's my thought. What if we did this for the month of September? What if for the month of September, we did two things? We said, we are not going to complain at all the month of September. And we're going to read the first 15 Bible lessons every day. Every morning or every evening or somewhere in the middle of the day, we're going to read that. And for every day that we complain, or every time we complain, we're going to put a dollar in the complaint jar. And for every time that we forget to read the Bible, every day we forget to do it, we'll put a dollar in the forgotten to read the Bible jar. Now be honest with yourselves. How many of you are going to end the month of September 30 days later with no money in a jar? It's hard, right? Life is hard. We are not perfect. And so we can look at the end of the month and we can look at the dollars and we can think to ourselves, my goodness, I am a failure even when I try to do the things that draw me closer to God. But see, the good news for us is that God still loves us despite our failures. And when we begin to look at those jars, it's not as failures, but to see the progress that we've made. 
And maybe we do the jar again for the month of October and maybe there's less money and less money. It doesn't mean that we're holier. It just means that we are changing our lives for the better. So what Paul is telling us is that we are loved by God. And that what we want to do to change our lives, what we want to do by following the law, whether it's the Ten Commandments or others, is not because we're earning our salvation or not because we're trying to get a gold star or be Jesus' favorite, but it's because what we realize has happened in our hearts, what God has done for us, and we want to be better people to reflect the love that God has given to us. So we want to focus on the intent of the Ten Commandments or focus on the intent of the more perfect union or the common good, not because we're better people or holier than thou or super Christians or anything like that, but because we are children of God trying to be the children that God wants us to be in light of what Christ has done on the cross for us. So as we begin to understand this idea of salvation by faith and how it brings out a change in the best in us, then it challenges you and me. It challenges us to do this for the world. It challenges us to reflect the light of God's love everywhere that we go. Because we have a story to tell. Because there's this joy that we know that happens at the cross for us. This joy that happens at the resurrection that Christ has died for us in spite of us. So what Paul writes in verses 13 through 15 of these words, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how are they to call on the one whom they have not believed? How are they believe if they have not heard? How are they to hear if no one tells them? And how is someone to tell them unless someone is sent? And nobody writes here, and as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How beautiful the feet of those who bring the good news. Friends, that's you and me. We are the bearers of the good news. We are to walk out of this sanctuary, walk out of this time of worship, walk out into the world and bear the good news so the world knows that salvation has come. That people are free. They no longer have to be paralyzed because they have a past. They no longer have to be paralyzed because they think that they are unworthy. But instead that they too can call upon the Lord. They can say that I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I too pledge to lead a better life going forward. Still knowing that I'm not going to get it perfect. See friends, we are his messengers each and every one of us called to go into the world and reflect that light of love to a world that desperately needs it. So we can stand here and we can ask that question, have I lived a good enough life? Am I worthy enough for the sacrifice that Christ made? And we're asking the wrong question because when we really understand it, we know that we're not worthy enough. But the question we'll be asking is, am I reflecting the light of love that has been poured out in my life? Am I reflecting that in the world around me? And friends, when we do that, when we reflect that light, then the world knows what Paul writes here in Romans, that he writes to this church, that salvation has come. And all we have to do 
is confess Jesus as Lord. And we receive it. And we begin to understand how much better our lives can be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.